Thank you for visiting the Sanctuary Fellowship. We pray the following message will be encouraging to you. For more information about us, visit us on the web at www.sanctuaryfellowship.org. Listen in as we start taking away the layers of religion and discover the joys of a relationship with the Creator. I like to start with a quote and it, it just fits in so perfectly with what just happened. The quote goes like this, if you want to change where you're going, you've got to change what you're doing. Amen? If you want to change where you're going, if you want to change what you've been getting, if you want to change the way you've been living, if you want to change what's been happening, then you got to change what you're doing, right? Amen? Like, only stupid people would continue to keep running into this pole, back up, start again, and run into this pole, back up, start again, and run into this pole. And, and, and I see people, I mean, we see, did anybody see people doing that daily, weekly, monthly, yearly, until they got, they got lumps in their heads that are just part of them from now on, Right? And they're they're black and blue all over. They're hurting. They're broken people. They got broken necks. They they got broken body parts from just just always kind of doing the same thing, doing the same thing, expecting that one day this won't be there. It's foolishness when the Lord says just step and do something different and it won't be there. Amen? Come on, that, that was exciting. Yeah, amen. Amen. All right, well, we've been... We've been doing a series, we started a series last week, a series on the life of Elijah the prophet. Elijah, they call him the heroic prophet. And I'm excited about this. I believe that when we're done with this series, we're going to start to see, I don't think it's going to wait till we're done because we're starting to see it already. But I believe when we have the full understanding of this, God's just going to release something on us and we're going to flow under a new mantle. We're going to flow under a new covering and we're going to just start to see things that God intended for us to see. Amen. Right. Amen. My cousin Eric's excited about it. And that's all I need because he's louder than all of you. So in, 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 uh, we started in 1 Kings chapter 17 last week. And, and we went through kind of chapter 17. And, and we saw right at the beginning, you know, the way things always kind of start in the Word of God. The people of God have been disobedient again. They've fallen into all kinds of perversions, all kinds of idolatry. They've walked away from God and they're suffering because of this. And I just felt like I had to stop here and, and, and kind of just, let's just sit there for a moment, see? Because it's important to note that from the beginning of time, history shows that for century after century after century, people have always tried to get out from under God. Amen? Right? People have always tried to find freedom outside of God. I didn't even see her. And, and, and we, we've seen that again. History repeats itself again and again. People insist that freedom is outside of God, out from under God. I hear it in young people. I hear it in old people. I hear it in everybody that, 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 that we speak to, and we see it everywhere. People try to find this freedom outside of God. And I just thought it was, it was it's interesting for us to just kind of see where that came from for, for a moment. See, in the very beginning, if you would think back about Genesis for a second, God created the heavens and the earth, right? And He created this incredible place. And, and I mean, he, picture the backdrop. He just he created the mountains and the waters and the sea and the sun. And, and He made this incredible backdrop, right? Beautiful. And then He put man in it. And He said, look, because everything mattered to God. Everything. So everywhere that Adam could look, it was something beautiful. Everything that Adam could hear was something beautiful. God, everything that he, that he needed or that he could even ever want was there, right? And then it says he created all these animals for, you know, to find a helpmate. And, and Adam didn't, wasn't jiving kind of with all the animals in that way, if you understand, right? And so um, he said he, he put Adam to sleep and out from man he created woman. And he said to them the most beautiful things In essence, he said, be free. Be free. Everything that you want, everything that you could possibly need is here. Be free. Be fruitful and multiply. Basically, have a lot of sex and eat anything and and, and just enjoy your life. Amen? Say, that's a good God. 
So, all right. So then what happens? The only thing God said was, however, there is one tree, and if you eat from that one tree, you will surely die. Right? And, 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 and we know the story. If you eat from that one tree, there is an entire garden. There's an entire, you know, world for them. He said, if you eat from the one tree, you will surely die. Now, the enemy comes in like the serpent, you know, and, and, and I, I just want to expose that strategy because it, it's a strategy that's still today. The enemy comes in and, and um, his, his strategy is to exaggerate God's word. And so the enemy first tells Eve, surely God didn't say you couldn't eat from any tree in this garden. And you catch the deception there? He says, surely God didn't say you can't eat from any tree in this garden. He's making God to be unjust. He's making God to be unfair. He's making God to be like this, this mean. Why would you put all these trees and say, I can't eat from any of them? That's cruel, right? So he's already painting God a certain way. And Eve falls for it. She says, no, he didn't say that we couldn't eat from any tree. He said we could eat from every tree except this one. This one we can't eat from. We can't even touch it or we'll die. Exaggeration. See, he exaggerated God's word. God didn't say, if you touch it, you'll die. He said, if you eat from it, you will surely die. So see, it's, it's a strategy that the enemy has. The very first deception was to tell people, and, and, and what does the enemy tell them? If you eat from that tree, you'll be like God. That's why God doesn't want you to have it. If you eat from it, you'll be like God. And so the very first deception and it's still today, is to tell people that they can be free from out, out from under God, that they can be free from God, that they can be their own God. Understand? How I many you know that's still the same lie today? It's still the, you can call it anything you want to call it, but it's the same deception. You can find freedom outside of God. You can be your own God. People have fallen for that for years and years, for centuries. And all you do is, and, and you, I just want you to get this, all you do is when you, when you get out from under God, you get under another God. A, little, a God with a little G. A lesser God. A punk God. You understand? A, an imitation God. A wannabe God. But, but you still, when you get out from under God, you get under another God. I, I, just, you, I just feel like you, you, you got you to gotta get this today. And see, and the first God is the true and loving and compassionate. He's full of grace. He's full of mercy. He has authority over heaven and earth. And the other God wannabe is just jealous and angry and bitter and condemned and damned and separate. And he wants you to be jealous and angry and bitter and addicted and controlled and manipulated manipulated and used and non not, not only non-productive but destructive i mean you know people like that true freedom is in god every hardship that we face in god builds us up strengthens us encourages us makes us better shapes us molds us refines us every hardship that we face outside of god controls us hurts us uses us, degrades us, ultimately destroys us, and disqualifies us. I hope somebody learned something today. People tell me all the time, you know, I hear people say, I don't want to go to church. I don't want nobody telling me what to do. I don't believe in God. I don't want to serve God. Friend, you are already serving a God. Amen? Okay. Hallelujah. Let's get back to our series. Okay, so we're in uh, chapter 17. Let's run. I'm going to give you a two-minute recap of last week because there's a lot of new people here, and I want you to really get this. And some people weren't listening last week. I want you to really get this. So God's people are in bondage. Ahab is king. Jezebel is his wife. He gets them to worship false gods. Elijah comes on the scene. He tells Ahab, your God is weak. There's going to be a drought until my God says so. And then he, um, God sends him to a brook and a bird. And so a bird feeds him and he, and, and he drinks from the brook. The brook dries up. God sends him to Zarephath. And, and by the way, Zarephath means refining. So God sends him to testing. Oh, that's good. 
So God sends him to testing. He makes, and then he, he, he sends him to this widow. He meets his supplier, the supplier that's going to supposedly provide everything for him. She has nothing. She's on welfare. She's not even got wick cheese to, 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 to rely on. And all she has is a little bit of oil and a little bit of flour. And Elijah speaks to her, empowers her to bake with that limited supply, and it miraculously feeds them for two and a half years. Say amen. Okay, so then what happens? The son gets sick, the son dies, and then we have the first recorded incident in the Word of God where Elijah did something that has never been done. He prayed, asked God to raise somebody from the dead, and, and, and it happened. First time recorded in the Word. So this woman now, who has no hope and no future, and did you notice that Scripture didn't even give her a name? She's not even significant enough to have a name. She was the widow from Zarephath. No name. So, so this woman who was a nobody, who was, who was insignificant, she makes room. Because she makes room for the prophet in her house, she's blessed with two life-changing miracles that just change her life. And at the end of, of chapter 17, the last verse, 24, it says, And the woman says to Elijah, By this I know that you are a man of God, and that the word of the Lord is in your mouth, and it is truth. The last verse in the chapter, it's a confession of faith. She says, I'm convinced and I believe. Amen? Title of this message is Convinced but Not Converted. So, so we learned, this is what we learned so far from the life of Elijah. Even when we're far from God and blinded by our own desires like Ahab, God still speaks to us. God still gets words to us. If we don't do what Simon says... We played Simon Says last week, by the way. If we don't do what Simon says, we're not blessed. If we continue in disobedience, we are separated further and further from God. We learned, even as believers, sometimes will send us to a place of limited supply. We learned that even as believers, sometimes the place that God sends us to dries up. We learned... That when that happens, that was verse 7, that the brook dries up. We learned that right after verse 7 comes verse 8. And verse 8 says God will send him to another place where there is another source. How many of you were happy to hear there was a verse 8 after verse 7 last week? Amen. Some of you told me I'm right there. I'm at verse 7 and a half. And I say amen because you're, you're this much closer to verse 8. Amen. Where God's word is going to come. And then, I believe that's going to happen today even. We also learned that sometimes, as in the widow, the supply that we have in hand doesn't look like it can do what it can do. How many testify to that? But if we're faithful and walk in what we know, God will supply all of our needs according to his riches and glory. We learn that we can also, we also learn from the life of Elijah that sometimes God will put us in places to do things that have never been done before. How many of you see that in the sanctuary? I feel that in the sanctuary. God will put us in places to do things. I don't think too many people are, are, are worshiping with, uh, what's her name? Who we did today? Hear me? Yeah, I don't think too many people are worshiping with Kelly Clarkson. I don't think too many people are capturing the, the words of somebody that's hurting and the words of somebody that's crying it out and then and just take it and, and, and bring it to who it belongs to and, and give, it to, give it to God. Amen? We learned that everything we go through in God uses God. God will use it for His good and for His glory to build us up for, for greater things and for higher levels. Okay, chapter 18, new levels, new devils. Chapter 18, here we go. It says, it starts this way. It says, and it came to pass after many days that the word of the Lord came to Elijah in the third year of this drought. In the third year, saying, Go, show thyself to Ahab, and I will send rain upon the earth. Now, it's been three and a half years, no rain, severe drought. It's so bad, chapter 18 tells us, that the king and his right-hand man, the guy that runs the palace, are out on foot searching for little pieces of grass and little brooks where they can feed the animals so that they won't die. That's how bad it is. The king isn't sitting on his throne. The king is, is looking through the park trying to find a piece of grass so that his animals can eat and not, not die. You're, do you see the severity? Three years of drought, right? So it's, it's so bad that they're, that they're out there. But 
there's something that, that, that kind of just grabbed me here, and, and we have to look at, at what's going on, and I think this is, this is hot. The king's right-hand man, the chief of the palace, his name is Obadiah. Cool name, right? Not really, but his name is Obadiah. Now, I don't want to overlook Obadiah because, because there's, there's something happening here. This guy was, he was the head of the palace. He was the head. He was his right-hand man. In other words, he, he made, you know, he carried out everything. He was in charge of everything. Whatever the king didn't say, he said. All right? So, but, but the word tells us that he was a devout follower of the Lord. Isn't that strange? Obadiah is this crazy, radical Christian, but he's working as the right-hand man of the most wicked king in Israel. Somebody see a problem with that? See, so I don't want to overlook that because there's something crazy here. See, so many people... <coughs> So I hear from so many people that, you know, it's only those people in full-time ministry. They're the ones that God, you know, is doing things with. And, and some people, so many of you come and tell me, man, I hate my job. I hate everybody in my job. I hate everything that's going on. You don't understand the people I have to work with, you know. And, and you think that only Christian jobs are great, you know. And only, you know, if I can work around Christians. How I many you know, that's, that's, that's a whole other message, right? But anyway. So, so, you know, I, I hear that, you know, if I could just have a, a Christian environment, but we, we, if, we, if we look at this, we say, man, when God sends Elijah, whose name is, my name is Jehovah, he sends Elijah to King Ahab, he already has a man on the inside. God already has a man on the inside. Obadiah's name means servant of Jehovah. Come on, this is good. So when, when God sends Elijah, my name is, is I'm like Jehovah, my, my God is Jehovah, he already has a man on the inside, and the man on the inside's name is, I'm a servant of Jehovah. So, I mean, do, do you see a holy setup happening here? So, so this guy, he's in charge. It even tells us that when Jezebel started going, going you know, wow, because she couldn't get a hold of Elijah, and there's this drought happening, and, and you know, their God, Baal, is the one that controls the rain, and so they're praying to Baal, and there's no rain, and so she starts going crazy, she says, I can't get Elijah, I'll get all the prophets of the Lord, and she starts killing prophets, she starts going on a witch hunt to kill every Christian in, in Israel, right, and so Obadiah says, he, he, we, we, we read in the word that Obadiah takes a hundred prophets, and he rescues them, and he keeps them in caves 50 and 50. And it says that he provides bread and water to them. Severe drought. Nobody's eating or drinking. God's prophets are in a cave, in safety, being supplied for from the king's palace. So, see, God has a man on the inside. Even in the midst of severe famine, God, this guy, can you imagine the risk he's taking? See, you and I could risk being embarrassed, or we can risk somebody making fun of the little fish on our car, right? But this guy would not, he would, this goes beyond being, a, this guy would be tortured, he would be, you know, his family be killed, he'd be killed eventually. This is major stuff, but, but, but God has a guy on the inside. I, I want you to take that to kind of change your environment and change your mindset so that you understand that wherever you are, whatever it is that you do, God can use you right there. Somebody needs to hear that today. Understand that your name means servant of Jehovah and God can use you in the midst right of, of whatever's going on. Listen to me, hear this please. There might be a hundred people at your job that God has called you to rescue and to bring fresh bread and living water to. I got excited when I saw this. I said, wait, I've read this story. I probably preached from this story. I never caught that. See, because God will give us God will give us everything when we're ready for it, right? And so I said, wow, they're, they're, I hear people complaining about their jobs all the time. Could it be that God put you there because there are a hundred people there that God needs to get that you to bring fresh bread to and you to bring fresh water to in the midst of famine and drought? Are we in a severe spiritual famine and drought today? Have you read the papers? Do you watch the news? We are in a severe famine. We, we are in such a drought of spirituality that people make up their own spirituality and people follow. That's how scary it is. 
You can, you can open the church on the corner and say, the Lord gave me a fresh word and, and he wants everybody to tattoo this on their, on their necks and, and, and there'll be 50, 60, 100, depending on how popular and how charismatic you are. There'll be followers. There's such a spiritual famine in the land that people are ready to follow anything. Could it be that you are at your job because God wants you to grab 50 and throw them in a cave? What's a cave symbolize? A cave is a sanctuary, isn't it? A cave is a place of safety. Could it be that you're there? I got excited when I saw this. Because you see, God is using Elijah, and Elijah has an awesome role to play. And you know, he's the prophet with the word of the Lord to bring correction, to stand publicly to God against all of this, you know, opposition and all this stuff. But if we just look at Elijah and focus on the extravagant, on the full-timers in ministry, we think God only uses those that he calls to full-time ministry. We might think it's only those people. I work in an office. I work in a bank. I work in, I'm an administrator. I'm a plumber. I hate my job. You don't understand what goes on in my job. The cursing, the blasphemy, the adultery, the wickedness. Everybody's sleeping with everybody. Everybody's done slept with everybody and they're still talking about everybody. And, they, and, and everybody knows it. And anybody, anybody work in a place like that? I hear it all the time. And, and the, the cursing and the way you don't understand. No, 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 no. You don't understand. I can't wait to get out of there. I can't. Well, do, do you think Obadiah worked in a better place than you did? Obadiah worked for Jezebel. Is that enough said? This woman hunted and killed and like would take pleasure in skinning Christians alive. Do you, do you see the severity? If you think there's cursing at your job, imagine the cursing in the king's palace. Imagine the blasphemy in the king's palace. Yes? Listen, I want you to know that whatever's going on there, I don't have to know what's going on. You don't have to come tell me what's going on at your job. You're there. And you are Candace, servant of Jehovah. You are Joe, servant of Jehovah. You are Eric. You are Andrew. You are servant of Jehovah in your place. You're called to be a light to that place. Amen? Man, this is, this is, like, this is God's engineering. This is incredible stuff. Listen, when we first designed this church... There wasn't light anywhere. And, and I had to, you know, on paper, I had to figure out, man, we're going to put lights here. I want chandeliers here. I want lights here. And, and I had it on paper. And then on paper, it looks really good. And while we're working, it was looking pretty good until the nighttime came. And then you see how dark the building got. And then you said, okay, now I realize here is the darkest. Here's where I need to put a light. Amen. I realized, okay, I, I looked for the darkest places in the building, and I said, that's where we need a light. The hallways are dark. That's why the hallway sconces have three lights. Where the sanctuary is not as dark as we have these, so the sanctuary sconces have one light. There's only three people on this wall. On the other side, there are nine. Come on. You understand what's going on? It's a, it's a God engineering thing. Could it be that God sees where it's darkest? In the world, and he places one of us there. Amen. Let's get back to the story. So Elijah or meets Obadiah. He arranges with Obadiah to meet Ahab, right? And he's going to go meet Ahab. And, and he goes and he meets him. And, and when, he, when, when Ahab sees him, he greets him all nasty. He said, oh, is it you, the troubler of Israel? And Elijah gets gangster right back. He says, your father, it's you and your father's family that are the troublers of Israel because you've turned from the Lord. You've done your own thing. Elijah's bad, right? As a matter of fact, Elijah gets crazy right now. He says, this is what I want you to do. And this is one of the craziest stories in all of scripture. He says, tell everyone in Israel to meet me on Mount Carmel. I want you to meet me on this mountain. Tell everybody in Israel to meet me on this mountain. And, and bring your 450 prophets of Baal. Because the king kept 450 priests of Baal that worship Baal. And, and then he says, and bring, and bring also the 400 prophets of your whore goddess Asherah. Because... Um, Jezebel had her own 400 prophets 
and they even lived with her. They were all fed by her kitchen. That's how close she kept them. 400, he said, so bring the 400, the 400 priests of that whore, Asherah, bring your whole crew, he says. And in verse 21, it says, Elijah, all the people were gathered, everybody's there, and Elijah gets up before the people. He ain't even talking to the priests yet, he's talking to the people. He says, how long are you going to sit on the fence? If Baal is, is, is the real God, then follow him. But if God is the true and living God, then follow him. See, let me give you a side note so you understand why he's saying something like that. See, the, the people of Israel were God-fearing people. They were brought up like that. How many of you were brought up in church? And how many of you know being brought up in church doesn't make you a Christian? How many of you know being brought up in church don't mean nothing sometimes? Right? All, all the pastor's kids are saying, Amen! Amen! That's bad. <laughs> so they, were, they, were, they, they understood being God-fearing people, but they were also people-fearing people. And so the king had all the power and, you know, had the power to, to, to provide or to not provide. The king had the power to kill or not to kill. And so in, in order to kind of have peace, they, they, they introduced the Baal worship with the God worship. And they said, man, it, it's, it's all gravy. We'll worship God and we'll worship Baal. And we'll worship Asherah just to make Jezebel happy. Because I don't want nobody getting mad at me. All right? So, you know, they said, we'll just incorporate it. We'll put God and Baal and Asherah. And, and we'll just kind of make it a good religion that everybody's happy, totally accepting, interfaith, intercultural. Do we hear those words today? Interfaith, intercultural. Do we hear that? So, so that's what these people were doing. You know, they were worshiping both gods. They were trying to bring in this god and those gods and just and and we do it today. We we do it today, in our we take our traditions, we take our cultures, and we bring them in and we mix God into them. Some of them, for some of you today, don't stand up or don't shout nobody out. But you're wearing a saint or two on your wrists, on your chains. Some of you might have a little amulet on your kid's wrist. Some of you might have. Some, some beads are on your neck that uh, protect you, that give you, you know, whatever, whatever, because grandma said that that's good and this saint protects you. Some of you might have a statue or two in the house and it's just been there forever and so it's cool, it's kind of cultural, you understand? We, we do this today, but, uh, you know, we, we, we do that and we might think it's all right. But I need to tell you today, God don't play that. God don't play that. You, 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 can't, you, 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 you can't say, God, I trust you, and, and I know that uh, Mother Mary is going to you know, hook me up. No, you can't say, God, I trust you, and I know that Santa Barbara keeps me safe. Uh, you know I trust you, but I put a candle to, to Lazaro. You know I trust you, but I got the little ojos on my kid's chain because that protects them and that keeps evil spirits away. No, no, God don't play that. Amen? Can I, can I speak to my Spanish people? God, don't play that. This, 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 this is, listen, it is for freedom Christ set you free. You don't need jewelry to keep you safe. You don't need a color to keep you safe. You don't need to light a candle to see where you're going unless the room is dark. That's it. How many of the poorest people in the Bronx have the money candle that they buy at the bodega lit up in their house? And you're still the poorest people in the Bronx. Why? Because you're spending $6 on a money candle. Or money spray, because they got technology now. You've seen the money spray? You've seen it at, 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 only the Spanish groceries have this. You buy the money spray, so in case the candle don't reach, you know, you can spray the rest of the house. The only thing that is good for is so that they don't smell what you're doing in the bathroom, but all of that smells the same way to God. Do you understand? It stinks. It stinks. God don't play that. It would be like me telling my wife, honey, I love you. I'm so glad she's in nursery right now. You are my one true wife, I'm, but I'm going to keep a few girlfriends on the side. Because they give me some things that you don't give me. It's the same way. It's the same thing. God, I'll serve you, I'll love you, but, but Asherah is the God of sexuality. <laughs> no. 
God invented sexuality. Ain't nobody know more about sex than God. God made the parts. Do you understand? Do you understand? Anything else is perversion. God made the parts. They fit the way they fit. God made them that way. They fit. So nobody knows more about sexuality than God. You don't need a goddess. We don't need this other extra. We don't need this other extra. That's extra. God don't play extra. Amen. Brazil, did you know that Brazil, in, in one part of the, uh, of the country, they have this huge statue of God? And on the other side of the city, there's this huge statue of the devil? Check it out. Why? They said, because we didn't want one to be angry with us. How long will you stand on the fence? I'm, I, I believe today God, God wants a, to have us a spiritual graduation today. See, you did it in worship, you saw it in worship. Some of you touched this floor up here, and I know, I know that some of you have never touched this floor up here. And some of you did that today. I believe it's a spiritual graduation today. Today, we're just going to let it all out and say, listen, go home and throw the, hock the chain, get rid of that. You don't need the saint. You don't need this. You don't need that. You don't, it's time to break tradition and culture and be a Christian. Amen? Trust God one way. That's the challenge that, that, that I, that I want to give you. That's the challenge that Elijah said. How long are you going to sit on a fence, man? I want to challenge you today. Uh, how long are you going to sit on the fence with your family? How long are you going to sit in the fence about your finances? How long? You know, that, that little video that was funny. I heard Eric laughing his head off. But, it, but, it, but it's serious. It, we can't trust God halfway. Do you understand that? We, we can't trust him halfway. We can't ask God for a half a miracle. Nobody wants a half a miracle, right? I want a full miracle. God, if I want a, 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 a miracle in my finances, don't send me a check for $100, right? That's, that's, God, send me a check for $100 so I can play the one bill. No, God, erase my debt. Amen? Don't send me a... I don't, I don't want a half miracle. I want the full thing. I want everything that you have for me. I want to walk in every joy and glory that you have for me. I don't want half of that stuff. I don't want a sidestep. Amen? All right. So next, look, look what happens next. This is crazy. He tells everyone, he, he gets before everyone, he says, look, look, it's just me. He thinks he's the only prophet left. He doesn't know that God still has a remnant. He always does. But he thinks he's the only one. He said, look, it's just me. But right there, it was just him. He says, it's just me. And there are 450 prophets of Baal. And because according to the word here, we find out that the 400 prophet priests of Asherah, they didn't even show up. So Jezebel must have just kept them on the side. Said, no, no, don't go there. <laughs> don't go there. Because it seems by history here from, from the record that they didn't show up. So it's just the 450 prophets of Baal. And, and, and so he's saying, it's me and my God and these 450. Do you understand how big 450 is? Right now, if you look around, there aren't 450 people in this building. And so imagine even if it was just all of you against me. You're, you're priests to that God and it's just me and my God. But re in reality, it would be like double this. It would be like almost triple this. Okay? Just so you understand the, the thing. And so he says, let's decide today who's going to be the one true God. And in verse 23, he says, let two bulls be given to us. Let them choose one bull for themselves and, and cut it into pieces and lay it on the wood and put no fire to it. And I'll dress the other bull. I'll lay it on the wood and I'll put no fire to it. And in verse 24 it says, And then you pray to your gods, and I'll pray to my God, and the God who answers by fire will prove to be, in fact, the true God. You understand the test, right? And all the people agreed. They said, that's a good plan. Everybody said, amen. That's a good plan. Right? That's a good plan. They said, okay. And, and notice he said, the God that answers by fire. The thing that they need right now is water, not fire. It's been a drought for three and a half years. They need water. He's praying for fire. That's a whole nother message. We'll, we'll get to that. So Elijah says, you go first. 
You pick the bull, you set it up, and you pray, and, and it says that they did it, and they set it up, and, and I want you to kind of picture this. They, they set up, this is their altar, let's say, and they cut this bull up, and they set it up, and it says they prayed from morning to noon. How many hours is that? No, where's the math students at? It's a long time, how about that? It's a long time. If I was preaching from morning to noon... Half of you will leave, right? It's a long time, morning to noon. So it says that they prayed from morning to noon. And, and it, they were just going crazy. They were screaming, Baal, answer us, hear us. And, and it says they, they warfared all morning, jumping up on the altar and leaping and dancing. And they, they put on this big production and nothing happened. By noon, it says, Elijah was tired of watching this pathetic display of misdirected worship that's a whole nother message misdirected worship how many of us are guilty of misdirecting our worship imagine how that had to grieve elijah and grieve the heart of god that all of these 450 people are running up and down on the altar and they're jumping on the bull and they're saying answer us answer us burn this thing send your fire send your fire listen it's like a lot of churches today that are saying send your fire send your fire but they don't want to be obedient they don't want to talk about the word they don't want to walk in obedience all they want is god's blessing and god's fire and god's finances and so from morning to noon they're jumping on this thing now Elijah being the sarcastic dude that he is or or let's not put it that way let's say being as confident as he is in his God that sounds better amen don't send me bad emails being as confident as he is in his God he says hey uh, maybe your God's sleeping maybe you should pray a little louder he starts taunting them He says, maybe your God is on vacation. Maybe he took a trip. Maybe he went to the store. Maybe, and he just taunting them. And it it says that they get so crazy that that what what happens is, (coughs) Elijah Elijah said, you know, he, he gets them so wild up, it says that they start cutting themselves. So, I, I mean, picture the scene. Picture the scene, 450 people on an altar screaming and with some of them were probably encouraging them some of them were probably prophesying prophesying some of them were probably just um, um, crying out some of them were probably weeping but some of them were dancing and some of them were, were trying to make, make it happen and some of them it says they started cutting themselves so that the blood was flowing all over the place can you picture a man cut not one man let's, let's assume let's say just 20 guys cut. it says they but let's just say 20 guys can I, what would you happen if, if we let 20 guys come up in here and cut themselves and just start worshiping and crying out, bleeding everywhere? Can you imagine the scene? Disgusting scene. Worse than Saw and Saw 1 and Saw 2. Worse than any horror flick you've ever seen. Imagine these prophets cutting and bleeding and there's blood everywhere, but there's no fire. So Elijah, right after the, by, by the evening prayer, Elijah says, enough of that. Are you guys done? And he says, come near to me to the people. And all the people came near to him. And he, it says, he repaired the altar of the Lord that was already, that was there, that was broken down. And, and that's, that's important because, see, what he did by rebuilding the old altar, it was a sign to the people of Elijah that I'm not bringing any new religion. I'm not bringing something new. Um, there's no new religion going on here he wanted to revive the faith and the worship of their father's God amen he wanted to bring them back to their first love and so it says Elijah took 12 stones according to the 12 tribes of Israel now history tells us 10 of those tribes have already crossed the line they've already worshiping Baal but he puts 12 stones there symbolizing I'm calling all of you back God wants all of you. I'm bringing all of you back. I don't care what you've done. I don't care how far you are. I'm bringing all of you back into this sacrifice. This sacrifice is going to cover all of you. And so he brings the 12 stones in. He builds up. He rebuilds this altar. And then he told the people, this is crazy. He has this, this thing built up and it's ready to go. And then he tells the people, get four barrels of water. 
and pour it on that thing. How many of you went, went Boy Scouts or camping or anything like that? You ever try to start a fire with wet wood? I have. Unless you have gasoline, it's not happening. Which we used to carry with us to. <laughs> Whenever there was wet wood, you put some gas on the thing. Right? But, but understand. So he said, put four barrels. It says he even dug a trench around it and filled that with water. And then he said, do that three more times. So we're talking 12 barrels of water. So this thing is totally saturated. There is water. It is wet. Even if he had a blowtorch, he's not going to light this thing up very quickly, very easily. There is saturation of water there. Um, I was reading commentaries and they say he did that because sometimes in the old, in the worship of other gods and in, in all that kind of stuff, they would fabricate stuff. They would have tunnels underground. And so people would come from underground and light a fire underneath and ignite the altar. And people could go, whoa, that God is powerful. So he said, pour 12 jugs over that thing so there could be no doubt that the fire has to come from above and not below. You understand? Fire has to come from above. Anything else is fake fire. Anything else is false fire. Fire has to come from above. And so, so then he says, he, he, he told the people to do all that. And then he, he says, um, he prays this simple prayer. He doesn't pray for three hours. He doesn't pray for three minutes. It's a simple prayer. Let me read it to you in the King James because it makes me sound more, more religious. Look, he says, Lord, hear me and answer me that it may be known... For, for it is by now that most have denied or forgotten that thou art God in Israel to whom alone the homage and devotion of Israel are due and that I am thy servant and I do all that I have done and am doing and shall do as thy agent, as the word not to gratify or any hum, humor or honor or passion of my own. Thou employeth me, Lord, make it appear that, that, that thou doth so. And then he says, answer me, O Lord. Answer me so that these people will know that you, O Lord, are God. And that you are turning their hearts back to them. And verse 38 says, fire fell from heaven. Wow. You got to understand. Can you imagine what a day this was? This is from morning. They've been challenged. God's been speaking to their hearts. And now God says, I'm going to prove it to you. From morning to night. And now this prophet gets up all by himself. And, and, and you know, he made his own altar because the other altar was already bloody. It was already defiled. It, it already had, it had perversion and sin and wickedness on it. He said, no, here's a, here's a fresh offering to you, God. And he prays a simple prayer, a prayer that didn't even take two minutes. And fire falls down. Amen. And it says, fire fall down. It, it consumed the sacrifice. It consumed the wood. It consumed the stones. It consumed all of the water around the trench. It took it all. Do you, do you, do you I mean, see with the power? This is fire. Normally fire goes up. So fire would, would go from the bottom and rise up. Fire never goes down. But this went down just to show that it was a holy fire, that it was something totally different. It was not something that could have been faked or made up. It was holy fire. It consumed everything. It didn't leave anything. And then it says in verse 39, When all of the people saw this, they fell prostrate and they cried, The Lord, He is God. The Lord. He is God. Now, I believe some of those people there had their hearts turned back to God. But I think the generality of the crowd were convinced but not converted. I think they yielded to the truth of God. They say, yes, He is God. And, they, and, and, and they, they acknowledge that, yes, he is the one true God. In, in doing that, they're acknowledging that Baal is nothing, that Asherah is nothing, that any other God is phony and false. They say, yes, this is the one true God. But they didn't consent to the covenant that he should be their God. And that's why we see through history again 
and again and again. These people were disobedient. I don't know about you, and, and maybe I'm speaking out of line, but if I had been there, and if I had seen that, I, I can't see not, not being straight from that day forward. Amen? I can't see not just believing, not just knowing God. And, 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 and I guess, you know, it's human nature, and I guess it, I, I would be, I'm not any better than any of them. But for me, something in there would have convinced me like it convinces me now. I haven't seen any of that. And I believe it. And the word says, blessed, of those, uh, blessed are those of you that believe and have not seen. Amen? So are we convinced or are we converted? Now, I, I don't know if you know the rest of the story. You're not going to believe what happens next. But I'm going to end today right here with the same question that Elijah asked in verse 21. How long are you going to sit on the fence if God is the real God? Follow him. You guys can come up. And listen, to follow God means to make him priority in your life. To make him more important than money. To make him more important than making money. To make him more important than relationships. To make him more important than having relationships. More important than anything you could possibly put before him. Most of us see ourselves as good people. We would never worship a golden calf. We would never cut ourselves as a sacrifice to any god. But we live our lives misdirecting worship every day. I'm guilty. I'm not judging you. Don't, don't think I'm, I'm standing here like I got it all together. I'm guilty. I'm just, I have to be the one to give the word. It's worse for me. I gotta, I gotta, it's got to come from me. You understand? I'm held accountable even more. But we're all guilty of, of during the week, of when we leave church, of, of the, the rest of the week, of misdirecting our worship. Of, of putting our trust in other things, of putting our, our faith in other things. We put gold before our families, before our commitment to God. We sacrifice or we cut ourselves or our family to get ahead. We, to have more. We buy things we can't afford. We, we throw away more than some people ever have. There's a shaking going on, family. Pick up the paper, watch the news one night. It's time for the body of Christ, time for the people of God to rise up and shine. To be fully committed, to be spiritually active, to be fully alive ambassadors of the one true God. I want to, I said there's going to be a graduation today. I want to ask, I'm going to boldly ask right now you've never made that commitment, if you've never said, God, you are the one true God. And with all of my mistakes, with all of my failures, with all of my insecurities and fears, God, I will serve you. I want to make that decision today. God, I want to serve you. I want to be set apart. I want to find freedom in you and stop looking for freedom apart from you. If that's you, would you, just as boldly as I asked, would you boldly stand up? Man, man, doesn't matter if you've done this before. If you feel like you need it now, today's graduation day, then stand up and say, God, today's graduation day. I will no longer be on the fence. Jesus. Jesus. I want you to know. And sometimes I hate doing this because it's, it's not this little simple prayer that changes you. It's, it's understanding what you're doing that changes you. So many of us, you know, we've, we've said that prayer a million times in a million different churches. We said, God, come into my heart, change me. I believe that you died on the cross. I believe that you died for my sins. And, and that's the truth. That's what we need to believe. But we got to believe that. I want you to believe that today. I'm not going to ask you to say that prayer. I'm going to ask you to mean that prayer. Amen. 
And to the rest of you, I, I pray that the only possible reason that we could be sitting is because we've already done this, because we already know this, because we already believe this. And so to you, I ask you, how long will we live lives of misdirected worship? Because you could be saved. You could be set apart by God. You could have God in your heart. You could consider yourself a Christian and, and believe that you are and still live a life that's in compromise. Still live a life that, that's misdirecting, that's giving worship to other things, that's giving worship to other people, that's giving worship to, to, to a job, to a dream, to uh, 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 some hope or, or something that's, that's not tied into what God has for you. If that's you, would you just stand all around, stand up next to those that are standing. It's graduation day, church. I believe this series came at, at, at an important time, at a crucial time in, in the life of this church. And I believe it's graduation. This whole series is going to guide us through a graduation. We're going to step in and be more mature, be more responsible. And with maturity and responsibility, I want you to don't get it twisted. It doesn't mean we become more boring. It doesn't mean we become dull. It doesn't mean we walk around with our Bibles and quoting scripture at everybody and making sure that nobody else has fun. It means we're the fun ones. <laughs> Would you get that? Would we, would we flip that? Would you understand? It means that we're the fun ones. It means that people want us at their party because we bring life. Do you understand? Some people won't invite me to their party because of my title. People that know me will invite me to their party because they know that I'm a fun person. Amen? It's different. And, and, and we need to understand that freedom is in God. It is for freedom Christ set us free so that we will no longer be yoked again by, by oppression, by religion. Religion is a dangerous thing. It's just as bad as sin. Amen? Let's redirect some worship today. And before you leave here, step on this floor. There's nothing different in this floor than that floor, but as you come forward, something changes in your heart. It's not the floor, it's the heart. Amen? Come join me. Let's worship. Thank you for supporting the Sanctuary Fellowship. We are a new and growing church with a passion and a heart towards enjoying God, serving people, and building healthy families. We pray that you will continue to fellowship and grow with us as we follow hard after God. Don't forget to visit us on the web at www.sanctuaryfellowship.org. God bless.